0: If you're looking to sell your private company stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. With more than 4 billion in company-approved transactions, SharesPost is the leading marketplace for private company shares. To learn more, visit us at sharespost.com/equity.
1: Hello and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital focused podcast. I'm TechCrunch reporter Kate Clark and I'm joined by my co-host Alex Wilhelm of Crunchbase News. How's it going, Alex?
0: It's going good. Cold out here on the East Coast. Looking forward to fall, but otherwise in good shape. And I'm really excited about our guest this week.
1: Yeah, we have a special guest with us today. Sarah Smith, a partner at Bain Capital Ventures. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here.
0: We have a couple of fun facts about you. Uh, First of which is that you are a competitive strategy board game player. And before the show, I actually got some tips on stuff to buy. I'm pretty excited about Uh, But more importantly to me, you are a Packers fan.
2: Yes, big Packers fan. I didn't grow up a huge Packers fan, even though I'm from Wisconsin. But um, when I moved to Austin, funny enough, that's when I really became a Packers fan. There was a a bar there called the Star Bar. But on Sundays, it became the Bart Star Bar. And that was pretty great. Nice.
0: All right. Well, (laughs) sorry, I want to make Packers jokes, but it's not really a sports show. So I'm going to hold (laughs) it. Not really. (laughs) It's sometimes a sports related show, but today is not one of those days. So I'll just say fly eagles fly and we can move on (laughs) um, to a really great piece, Kate, that you wrote this week that I'm honestly, I I loved reading it. I learned a lot. So do you want to take us through um, liking and subscribing as a venture capitalist? Sure.
1: So yeah, I wrote a story about venture capital investment in the creator and influencer economy, or maybe more about how I think there'll be more of it coming
0: I want to ask a question about creators versus influencers, because as someone who's no longer on Instagram, I'm a little bit cut off from this world. And I know that it's gotten to be very large and very important, very culturally impactful. Um, But an influencer is someone who is essentially famous in the modern sense and therefore has an impact on the market's view of certain products. But a creator is different, Kate. Is that true?
1: Yeah, so there definitely are differences between the two. And I know some people are really sensitive about that. Um, there is a lot of good stories. I mean, Taylor Lorenz, who has covered the space, obviously, and she's a prolific reporter on, on internet culture. She's written a piece you should read it. Uh, the real difference between creators and influencers that explains it. I mean, I think influencers people do associate that term with people who post on Instagram for ads, and then creators are more people who are artists producing content on you know, across platforms.
2: But I think I think your point on like what are influencers like? I think that's expanded dramatically over the last few years. Like we used to think of only like selena gomez or kim kardashian being influencers and now i think people with like you know even a few thousand followers can start making money online so they would they would also call themselves i think an influencer if they can monetize there's a big
1: spectrum because there's celebrities who are certainly influencers there's even athletes who are now kind of their own set you know they're influencers but then there's people like you mentioned who have a few thousand and that those are referred to as micro influencers people with like i think maybe more than three thousand that's a constantly changing definition. Yeah, I went to a conference a few weeks ago and I met someone who had invested in one of these companies and got really interested in that company and then kind of decided to look more at the space. seems like there are a lot of companies being built at the very least from like influencer marketing platforms, which have been around for a while now, but are kind of like developing with venture capital investment to tools that help influencers monetize and therefore become a little more autonomous and then tools that help them Like with project management or payments, you know, making sure they're actually getting paid by these brands. So it was really interesting. One of the companies called Carrot, and it's going through YC in a few months. So winter, the winter batch, and this is a company that has says it's creating a bank for creators. They're going to be lending to creators and influencers through what it seems like revenue share agreements to help them make investments in themselves. I mean, there's so many things happening. There's like entrepreneurs who are more classic Silicon Valley techies, who are building in the space, and then there's influencers like, like. People who for the last five years have been, you know, doing digital ad campaigns on their Instagrams and made enough money that they decided to build some sort of company uh, related to it.
0: Uh, Like Mo Assist, which now has raised 1.2 million K and that was the project management side of this. So what's the goal there? Uh, What is it trying to do?
1: Yeah. So that one was founded by a woman named Danielle Bernstein, who was like a street style photographer, blogger turned like super influencer turned. Now she's starting a tech startup. Just a, like I said, project man- management and pay- payments platform to just specifically help influencers because they have sort of unique business needs and have, they need support um, in a different way than, you know, many entrepreneurs would. So yeah. the point of that is just to kind of help out people that she's, people like her.
2: Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's like, I was looking at the site, they, um, you know, a lot of these influencers that let's say they have like... I don't know, five hundred thousand followers like they were on the Bachelorette like yeah. five years ago or something. And <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and um and so then they they have a lot of like spe- there's a lot of specs that they have to fulfill in order to actually get the bounty. So if they're doing a sponsored ad for like Walmart or Tom Shoes or whatever, they'll get almost like a mini RFP from the brand saying like, Hey, take a photo with this product um or make a video and then make sure you mention these two things and then send them to the site and if you cross all these boxes, we'll pay you X, Y, Z. And so it's hard for them to keep track of all of the specs for all of these different little, you know, these posts that they're doing. And then for them to actually go invoice afterwards, that's the part that was interesting to me about this company. um, Kind of to the point of like, everyone's kind of getting into payments and so forth. But um, this is a big part of, I think, what the value prop is probably for the influencers
1: yeah, they need to get paid. And I think there's such an unreliable industry as is any kind of like creator job, like if you're a um, freelance journalist or you know any kind of contractor. So that's meant to help with that. But yeah, I mean, I think another lesson learned is a lot of these founders I talked to, ones that have successfully or unsuccessfully raised said there's still a lot of skepticism from VCs, particularly those outside of LA where I think there's less um, talk about this influencer economy. And there's a lot of funny quotes. Like one guy basically was like, just talk to your kids about it. They'll, they'll explain to you the value prop here. I think, and you, I'm sure you have insights into this. I think there's more conversations happening
2: around it. Yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, I think to your point in your article too, I mean, there's a lot of people starting businesses around this because, you know, definitely you see when there's a consumer wave happening, a lot of people kind of go, I know, I'll fix this problem I had and start a company. So we see right. a lot of people trying to solve the same problem. Um, I think fundamentally the challenge I have is that it is, it is very fragmented. So, I mean, this is like not even SMBs. This is like SSS, right? It's like very, very, very tiny folks. So then you have to wonder like if they're making a few thousand dollars a year, how much of that can you get them to funnel towards your product? Like, where's the money going to be? How big is the market? Um, and I think you had mentioned there's something like $8 billion or something this year will be spent on online or on influencer marketing. Which is, you know, it sounds big, but when you look at all of online marketing this year, it should be about $330 billion of spend. So it's still <laughs> a relatively small, mm-hmm. 2 to 3%. Now, my guess is actually just from early days at Facebook, you know, we definitely saw that, that brands would feel like they got a lot more value out of people influencing their friends than just like the right. brand voice. So the impact of the dollars they're spending, that $8 billion, might actually be higher than average. And so you would expect that that might rise. But still, relative to the entire ecosystem, it's a pretty small amount of total marketing spend. So I think that's where probably a lot of venture capitalists are still kind of sitting back wondering, is, you know, are you going to be able to extract and really, like, can you get to 100? Like, I was looking at her numbers. Can you get to $100 million in revenue? She's charging uh, $28 a month. Yeah. These micro-influencers and creators, $300 a year. It's like, you got to get to three. 30,000 plus. Or so. Right, and these are the lot. questions
1: certainly that VCs are going to ask. And another thing that came up a lot when I was asking investors about it is they said that all of, they keep seeing the same thing over and over again. They keep seeing basically two-sided marketplaces, brands and influencers, which I think is a lot less interesting than like these new ones that are sort of like services built on top for like, you know, built on top of those. So even more um, tailored and unique things. I think the, the, the influencer marketing platform sort of came in like years ago and at this point, we don't really need any more of those
0: yeah. yeah but the dollar amounts we're seeing here are pretty small like 1.2 million here yeah. 25 to 50,000 mm-hmm. dollar checks for some podcasts like, like the amount of money is commensurate with the size of the market back to your point uh, and that feels intelligent and good i think in 2019 we've gotten so accustomed to seeing <laughs> such large checks land wherever there's the possibility of some growth Question though, if, these, if this first round does well for VCs, that these companies that Kay mentioned in, in this piece, do you think we could see a relatively rapid increase in VC investment in the space? Or do you think there'll still be enough doubt in the market about the viability of this um, I don't know, economy, for lack of a better term, that investment would remain modest for another 12, 18 months?
2: I think it really depends how much do- how many dollars total are funneling over the system. So even though 8 billion is being spent on marketing if those people are generating hundreds of millions of dollars, sorry, hundreds of billions of dollars of commerce, then that's really interesting. Cause then you can start getting into the payment side of things. It kind of reminds me a little bit of like, um, if you think about like Shopify, when Shopify was early, like there were tons of tools available to tiny e-commerce folks, or even like Etsy. There's a lot of these like brands that, you know, just through great UI UX and like consistently delivering an awesome product, they just became a dominant market leader. So if there's definitely a clear winner in this space, I think you could, you could see some of that um, moving forward, but it's all going to be how many, how much purchasing are, you know, are these people actually driving? And the nice thing for the influencers is we're still kind of in a world of a lot of last click attribution. And so they do mm-hmm. get a lot of credit if they're sending right. people there. Um, and so if they can get so much, you know, if each of them generating, you know, a million or $2 of, of that, then, then the banking and payment side becomes really interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's very early days still for so many of these companies, obviously. Like Carrot, for example, is probably maybe a couple months old. I mean, I don't know. Certain, It's brand new and they're just building. But um, I think there'll be a lot more activity, whether it's just a lot of entrepreneurs building projects or influencers turning into entrepreneurs. Um, it'll be interesting to kind of watch and see what happens. It's also Carrot,
0: by the way, spelled with a K. If you're Googling along as we go, it a <laughs> note.
2: K-A-R-A-T. And it's trycarrot.com because there's also a recruiting tool. There's a carrot. lot. There's a lot of carrot. Yeah, because there's, there's fertility. fertility the fertility startup too. Yeah. There's a lot of carrot.
0: Okay. I'm not losing my mind then because I was like, I thought I heard of a different company called Carrot that was much bigger than this a one. Bunch. There's like there's seven.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Startups get new names. It's called Zucchini.
1: Uh, Come on. <laughs> Honestly, that's much more memorable right? than Carrot.
0: I would not forget a company called Zucchini. You're like persimmon? I don't know. That's I awesome. I wouldn't either.
2: Except it starts with Z, which is probably not great for surgery. That's true. Yeah.
0: Hey, everyone. Don't forget, this episode is brought to you by SharesPost. I think we can we can leave that there. Let's talk about another millennial-ish focus company called um, Deserve. Now, Deserve raised $50 million uh, this week, led by Goldman Sachs, which always kind of catches my eye when I see Goldman hopping into a round. I presume the company is sufficiently financially mature to have a viable exit path in the next couple of years, which is always exciting to see. Uh, it implies that it won't go all we work in the end. And a $50 million ad is always notable, uh, just as a general data point. Sally May, Aspect Ventures, uh, Pelion Venture Partners, and Mission Holdings also took part. And then I dug into what the company does. And if you're not familiar, Deserve is big in the student credit card space, um, helping people with non traditional kind of like credit backgrounds get access to their first credit cards. And it also provides services to other organizations to let them issue cards to kind of like their group, if you will. Um, And I think they call it CAS, which is Cards as a Service, which I think is three demerits um, for abuse of the SAS acronym. Um, Here's my confession. I hadn't heard of this company before it raised. And so I'm kind of curious if either of you had heard of it before this news broke.
2: I had not, but it wouldn't surprise me if my partner, Matt Harris, in New York had, because he does most of our fintech investing and we've okay. been putting a lot of time into the space in general. But no, it's definitely not a household name. They definitely don't have like billboards up at Caltrain like some yeah. other <laughs> hard companies. I don't
1: think, I, I actually just Googled to see if I'd written about it because I wanted to make sure I hadn't written about it before I answered that I'd never heard of it. But um, I, or cafes. I, I, it looks so much like other companies. There's a lot of consumer Card companies that are raising money in the last couple of years. I've yeah. definitely written about many of them. Um, this seems the same and it looks the same. So it's pretty yes. difficult to say whether, I mean, I don't know if I've heard of it before.
0: does it I stand mean, out. That's kind of, kind of a diss, but I mean, I, I suppose what sets it apart for me, and I, and I know fundraising is not a metric of success, but it can be a proxy for progress at times if you're in our chairs and you're not seeing access to the company's financials. So my impression is that because it did manage to raise this amount of money from whom it did. It must be larger than a lot of the other companies that we've seen in the space over the last couple of years. So we could be looking, possibly with a lot of caveats, at kind of the market leader. I'm um, just I'm kind of curious how big they can grow the business, the business-to-business side of their business, because if it's all just consumer-oriented cards, they kind of doing it on a one-by-one basis. Yeah. That's a really competitive market. But helping other companies give out cards could be much more lucrative, bigger contracts. Uh, to me, there's more growth there. I don't know. It's kind of a weird hybrid consumer B2B play. I don't know if VCs are like that sort of thing these days. I
2: mean, we love fintech. In fact, we're in the place now where <laughs> my partner, Matt, I mean, we're in a place where we think like fin, you won't even call it fintech as a vertical anymore. It'll be like saying it's an internet company. Like mm-hmm. almost yeah. every company now is doing something with embedded payments or some way to capture a part of the value chain. We actually invested in a company called Fenix that's doing specifically this, like helping software companies do more with embedded payments and having basically FinTech be part of the stack. So Mm. we're huge fans of the space in general. I think the point on the consumer side is like, you do wonder just about customer acquisition costs. And that's actually the reason why so many other companies are going into it is that they've paid all this money to acquire customers. And then now, oh, here's another whole huge pot of potential revenue to take advantage of these customers you've already spent so much to get onto your platform.
0: Okay, let's talk about CAC for a minute because um, I think it was Green Dot, which is a public bank, or it's a publicly traded bank, I should say. Um, and I think it was one or two earnings cycles ago noted that their growth rate on consumers on the customer side was gr- slowing because uh, so-called neobanks were spending so much money to acquire new customers that they were struggling to compete um, at a higher low at a higher CAC price point, for lack of a better phrase. Um, how material is that trend and from your perspective? And then also, has it gotten worse lately? Because I feel like it comes up more often now than it used to.
2: Yeah, I think our view is it's gotten much, much worse. I mean, um, <clears throat> online spend, like it, well, basically a lot of people were free riding for a long time on really low cacs. I mean, I was at Facebook early days when we first launched the auction system and people were paying pennies a click for you know, really high value conversions. And so it just took a while for essentially the market to shake out. Um, and so, but as a result of that, people are kind of used to the old days of low CAC and you can kind of work your way through growth by just spending more and more and more on online ads. I think that party is over. So now people are looking okay. for alternative means and that's where, you know, a lot of these software companies, it's sort of like, Hey, we brought you in for an influencer tool, but why don't we also sell you a credit card or extend a line of credit for you? And then they can get that bounty from a financial institution or in this case, maybe even have their own card right which is i think the idea behind this right
0: well this is a perfect segue into kind of the other thing i wanted to talk about today which is almost exactly that it's companies that started off in kind of one part of what i would call fintech or fin services and it expanded their product line to include things like quote high yield savings accounts everyone wants to give you a debit card and my read of this was there's just so much available revenue there that why wouldn't you go after those other things but i didn't think of it from the perspective of We already spent all the money on acquiring these customers. Let's just juice that revenue. I was thinking more forward, but that makes a lot more sense financially because you already have people there to use the stuff as it is, if you're Betterment or if you're Wealthfront or, I don't know, Robinhood or whatever. huh? Yep,
2: it's like sunk costs. So you might as well just continue to monetize and add to it. Like Shopify, we talked about that a little bit Mm -hmm. earlier, but that's like a really interesting example. If you look at their business and what they were monetizing, in the early days with software, well, now payments is actually, payments and payments facilitation has become, actually, it, we think will be the majority of the revenue very, very soon. So we think that trend is going to continue across like many, many companies.
0: Because Shopify has two main revenue streams. They have a, a general kind of SaaS product, which is like the service that you pay for. And then they also take a, a cut, I presume, or some take rate off of payments and other stuff. stuff that flows through the platform? Yeah, Okay. that's right. So they're like a, a, a non-pure SaaS business that looks better than a SaaS business in some ways then which is a weird turn of events because usually that's not the case huh
2: well unless that turn of events is fintech <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I, that's the lesson look learning. awesome <laughs> yeah exactly.
0: I, I feel like i started to pay attention to this part of the market in the last like i don't know two weeks so i'm very behind all this i've mm-hmm. uncovered an enormous amount of activity that i just wasn't paying any attention to and uh i, I gotta catch up on this because chime uh everyone knows right which is the I don't know. I want to say the, not the OG Neobank, but certainly one of the biggest ones by a total number of kind of current customer accounts. Um, but I I don't know. I was slow to catching on to everyone else driving into this. So as a question, uh, how long ago did this pile on into savings accounts and debit cards kind of begin from your perspective?
2: Oh, that's a good question. I mean, we've, we've really been talking about this in earnest as a thesis, um, I would say this year, but my partner, Matt's been investing in fintech for like over 10 years. So I think he saw this kind of rightfully so a lot sooner than the rest of us. I don't think you're like that, that far behind. You shouldn't feel too bad. But I think what is interesting is you will start to see uh, more and more, like almost every company that you look at will have some angle on payments or embedded payments as part of their business plan. And, you, and, and increasingly in earnings calls too. Like I think um, like Uber has talked about Uber money, right? They're starting Damn. to add that. And, you know, I've invested in Lime and looking at the scooter space Interestingly, there was a company down in Brazil called Yellow. They ended up uh, merging with Grin to create Grow. But part of the most interesting thing about the business was actually they were collecting payments in order for people to ride scooters. And that involved people going to small kiosks hmm. to pay for a, like a little, like basically a debit card almost to ride a scooter. So the payments business was actually interest, more interesting than the scooter business in that case. <laughs> so it was just like, it's just this thing that's happening kind of all over, all over the world, not just in like. US but also in other like underbanked um, countries. So yeah Uber
1: money um, I mean this kind of fits into the conversation they announced they have a team in place I mean the, I think I was reading over some reports and people had noticed for a long time that they had been hiring in New York basically hiring really smart former Wall Street people or people people with um, financial acumen to bring on to actually build out their financial services products and build better products for their drivers um, to sort of incentivize drivers and give them better abilities to actually track their payments and then um bank essentially bank with uber so that's interesting too because i think we'll see uber do a lot more now that they've kind of had a publicly uh, announced team working on this stuff
2: yeah as i was gonna say similar to the influencer um like this rise of a bunch of small platforms for in- influencer tools same thing with the gig economy there's a ton of stuff too trying to help gig economy workers manage their taxes their payments their you know cash inflow and outflow so i think it's kind of a similar fragmentation
0: So I got a question about this before we talk about Uber's earnings and then wrap, but like when people pile into a space, generally speaking, the price of the good they sell goes down because competition lowers the price for consumers. Uh, If everyone's piling into high yield savings accounts, I presume we'll see rates for consumers go up, which is a good thing. But can payments revenue that everyone's chasing with interchange and so forth, kind of owning the piece of the stack, as you said, will that be a race to the bottom? Or do you think there's enough defensible revenue there that even if everyone piles in, it'll still be kind of a lucrative idea or a lucrative play for these companies.
2: Yeah, I think the, I mean, the pie is going to grow a bit, but in general, the pie is just getting split up. I mean, I think it was pretty concentrated for a long time with the incumbents. And so people are just eating away at the incumbents, but there was a lot of money to be had there. So we, we believe that there's a lot of big companies still to be made.
1: So the, this year, according to PitchBook, it was by far the most funding into fintech companies, which broad, but um, believe it, certainly. Do you do you think that's going to keep happening for several more years in the, before it sort of peaks
2: that's a good question when will it peak I mean we believe it's really early innings I would say in general like this is not like to your point you kind of only really started hearing about this I mean we think there's a lot more room for innovation and there's also just a lot more data now so like the whole risk profile of how you think about offering credit you know a lot of these models are based on new metrics that old banks you know never felt comfortable like how do you quantify Instagram followers as like something that you could potentially monetize I mean there's just a
0: lot of interesting new
2: data streams that could come into play
1: here Mm
0: -hmm. But can you talked about that in your story about Carrot, right? Exactly.
1: And I, I never talked talk to the company directly because I think they probably didn't want to uh, respond to me because so really, but their website does say things like, um, you know, what if you could use your TikTok following or your YouTube following as evidence to, to, to be able to get a loan? Of course, you can't do that today. They want to see your W-2. They want to see these other traditional statements. But this company is saying, you know, if, if you want to borrow money from us, we, we can look at that and use that as, as evidence that you're a good... I mean...
0: Not to be rude about the idea, but Kate, you and I have more Twitter followers than the average person. So I don't know how many you have. <laughs> you Sorry. Buy many... a house. <laughs> I mean, but that's the thing. I don't think, I don't think if our following went up by 10%, Kate and I, that we would have 10% more money or 10% more credit worthiness. Like I'm slightly leery of these things.
1: Yeah. And you're, you're not the first person to have the reaction today. I've heard from a number of people who said, who made who said things like that or made a joke of it? I mean, clearly there's there's more than just that they would be looking at. I'm not defending the company because I actually have no idea how they're going to do this, but I don't think they're going to be like, "Oh, you have twenty five thousand followers. Okay, here's your here's your two million dollars." I mean, there's going to be a lot to it. Um, and we're not creators or influencers. We're like an old fashioned thing called reporters. I don't know what box that. I like. mean,
0: here we are creating an influencing. So I don't know. Sorry, go for it.
2: They could do something like ClearBank though. If you guys have seen ClearBank, right, where they they say, "Hey, hook us up to your," you know. Look us, yeah, hook us up to your Mo account, and we want to see how much revenue you're generating. Then we'll, you know, grant you credit based off that, right? Yes, definitely. Because they
1: want to they want to invest in high growth creators and influencers. Um, they don't want to just invest in anybody that has a big TikTok fault tick, tick, tack, TikTok fault. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> they um, that's the best type of. So you
1: have to have. There has to be some evidence there that you're kind of. I mean, the, the, the theme of the article, or the point I was trying to get across, is like these startups are treating influencers like they are a small business, and they're giving them the tools they need to be a small bus- a successful business, small or medium or whatever. Um, and in some cases, that means, you know, venture backing. In other cases, I think it means um, revenue share. In other cases, maybe it's a grant. I don't know, you know, because Patreon, I mentioned in there, is now doing like a 50K grant to certain people who, you know, have the right metrics or whatever it is. Um, so there's just a lot of different, I think, ways people are
2: innovating to support. I mean, the other last thing that's pretty interesting about this, though, is that also... I would guess that the average age of these influencers is also pretty young. Mm -hmm. So some of it's capturing these consumers like early in their, frankly, like decade, many, many decades long financial life cycle. So that's also a super valuable group of consumers to have. Yeah, pretty much. I think everyone's 18
1: to 25. Go ahead. Mm -hmm.
0: Oh, I just, I by like the it. way, going back to what I was saying earlier, I don't think it's dumb that people might have a higher credit worthiness with more followers. If you can find a way to math that out, that's super great. I don't mean to make fun of it. I'm just saying, personally, I don't see the connection. How do you underwrite
2: it's, it? Exactly. Yeah, 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 totally. It's, there's a lot to, there's it's a not, little mind boggling. Not a lot of historical data to show mm-hmm. you've got like some models built out yet.
0: Uh, Kate, okay, she we be close with uh, 30 seconds on Uber's earnings. You take it away. All right. Uh, what? is spelled Uber and is down 7% today. Oh, look, it's Uber stock. Bad day uh, for Uber. Uh, this is my attempt at, at, at transitions when I make them up on the fly. And all it really does is make Kate laugh and me blush terribly on the video. I liked it. I liked it. All right. Uh, anyways, Uber stock is down after reporting earnings today because the company lost more than they expected, although on adjusted profit, it did beat and it did beat on revenue. Um, the only thing I want to bring up uh, is that the growth business at Uber is particularly unprofitable. So Uber Eats was the, the fastest growing piece of its adjusted net revenue. And it turned, if I recall my notes, about $3.6 billion in uh, gross spend into negative $315, 316000000 in adjusted EBITDA, which is not great. Um, just throwing it out there because we covered their IPO so much. And if you're an on-demand company, that's not what you want to see today from Uber.
2: The lockup also, I think, is over today or tomorrow, very soon. Yeah. So that's also going to probably wreak a little havoc. That will be interesting to see how that plays out.
0: All right. I think that's uh, it for this week. Kate, uh, cool. good to see you. Thank you for coming on, sir.
2: Yeah,
1: great yeah. to be with you guys. Thanks for having fun. Us. All right. See you sometime soon.
3: Hi, I'm Anthony Ha. And I'm
4: Daryl Ethington.
3: And we are two out of the three hosts of the original content podcast. The format of the show is usually we'll talk about one or two pieces of news from the week and that's really should be familiar to equity listeners where we'll just kind of recap the news talk about the significance get you caught up on what's happening in the world of streaming and then we'll do one in-depth review we just passed our 100th episode which is very exciting and it was really daryl's idea initially why did you want to start this podcast
4: well this is how we get media now is through originals that are on streaming services and not TV anymore uh, at least that's how I get media and so I just wanted to get talking about it because I find this stuff so much more interesting than network television or whatever else is coming out I think that the streaming services there's a lot more at stake with their originals so there's a lot more interesting things going on they tend to to put more out on the table in terms of risk and they sometimes really miss and they sometimes really hit it so i wanted to talk about that on a regular basis.
3: we talk about what we want to talk about and we have lots of opinions and we share those opinions and just to give you a little taste of that we've got a few minutes from our review of succession which you can listen to right now
5: is it succession time because i'm ready
3: i'm really really ready you guys i think it's succession time so I think honestly, yeah. what we should do again is—is is, so we're going to cover two seasons. So there's a lot to cover. Um, let's sort of just talk about general impressions, no spoilers, and then I think probably pretty quickly we're going to get want to get into a spoiler discussion of the full thing.
5: Yeah, quick highlights. Can I talk about a couple things that I think are really special about the show? Absolutely. So uh, one thing that I really appreciate is like sometimes when you get deeper into these worlds that people don't know about, there's a real struggle, I think, for the filmmaker or the showrunner or, you know, the creators to immerse you in that world without doing a ton of exposition and kind of zooming out. And you see people do it really well. And then you see people struggle. And there are a couple different techniques, right? Like I think about like vice um, and what was the one about the stock market crash? Big Short. Those two, obviously, that's its own style, where it like kind of uses this like really you know overstated metaphor to explain where we're going, and then you have like Wolf of Wall Street, right, which is more like I'm gonna get into the nitty gritty of it for like five seconds, and then I'm gonna be like, what the hell, you don't fucking care, and like just back out of trying to explain it to you all together, and then sometimes there's like really corny versions of it, where like in Law and Order, SVU, or something, they'll be like. Some you know all this legalese jargon jargon jargon, and then they'll be like, and that means you're going to jail, you know. And you're like, oh god, like <laughs> way to stick the landing. And I think Succession, long long walk, short sip of water, does an excellent job of never breaking its parlance and never, you know, pulling out to try to explain to the viewer like this is what a bear hug means, or you know, um, just some of the more I think like insidery terms and commentary and conversations. They never zoom out, but you never feel lost either. And I think there's a real art to that. So that's my thing one. I'm going to open up the dialogue, but I have lots more things as well.
4: No, I agree with that. I think that is a real strength of it, right? They just throw those in there and it seems like these people just use these terms all the time and there's no awkward stops for exposition or whatever. And also you totally organically figure out what they're talking about.
5: And as long as you give it time, I feel like there's the instant it's Mm. one of those shows where it's like, oh uh what does this mean? Like the second that it comes out of someone's mouth or like, what did he say? What, what does he mean? What is he talking about? And if you just listen for like five or six more lines, you're back in it. You know, you just, you just got to resist the urge to like pause and rewind because it'll get you there. Like it'll deliver you to what you need to know if you just have faith in it.
3: If you liked what you heard, you can find it on Apple podcasts or any other podcast app.
4: Even if you didn't like what you heard, just go find it. You'll like something else on there. We're great.